Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Monday, May 24th. Stocks are up, the number of U.S. COVID cases is way down, and we're focused on America's small business comeback. Normally, this show dives into one topic per day, but this week, we're doing something different because the topic of America's small business recovery is so big, so important so complex that we didn't think we could do it justice in a single episode. So instead, we're doing six, running through this Saturday. Today's show, our opener, will be a bit longer than usual, and we want to kick off with an interview that sets up where small business stood heading into the pandemic, where it got hit hardest, and where it's rebounding first. Later in the show, you'll hear stories from a single shopping center in Allen, Texas, from both its small business owners and its landlord. But first, we're joined by Chris Wheat, co-president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute, an internal think tank that looks at anonymized credit card data from millions of individuals and small businesses. Let's go back pre-pandemic a bit. Big picture, what was the state of American small business, say, in February 2020? I'm glad you asked because we've had a lot of conversations about what's happened since then, but the context is super important. Look, I mean, hats off to small business owners for working so hard under such hard conditions in, in the normal times. They run their business and they run it well, but they run it on not a lot of cash. And they were always exposed, I think, to disruptions, um, unexpected events, be it sort of with customers or suppliers or whatever the case is. They typically worked on a really, really limited cash buffer is the way we think about it. Usually running somewhere, you know, two or three weeks of cash in their bank accounts to sort of deal with unexpected disruptions to revenue. That was, you know, state of small business world as we saw it in all those years of expansion coming up to February. So kind of best of times. What we saw in some research coming up to that period was that the typical Black-owned business, for instance, had about, you know, less than two weeks of a buffer where the typical white-owned business, you know, had about a week more. So like a really meaningful difference in the before times as we now talk about them. Obviously, every individual business is an individual business, but big picture, was this pandemic different for minority-owned businesses, and if so, why? That's a really good question, and it's complicated. I'll try to do the top line, which is here. There were large gaps. So like I said, small businesses with Black and Latin owners had a lot less cash to begin with. Programs happened, some targeted small businesses, but some targeted at households. And they sort of move things around. So like if you received a government check, either just because it was a, a stimulus payment or a target towards your small business, like that might show up in your small business such that lots of small businesses actually were up in cash. You could read that through the lens of, well, those black owned businesses, for instance, that didn't have that much money to begin with. If you give them money, like it, it raises them a lot more than maybe a business that had more money to begin with. So the story is nuanced and, and a little bit hard to summarize other than to say, did they close the gap? I don't think that's an easy takeaway. I think, you know, they helped, but the pre-existing challenges that minority-owned businesses were facing, they certainly weren't taken away by the pandemic. 
one of the ways you do your research is you kind of suss out national trends by researching specific cities and groups of cities. How differently did the pandemic, when it comes to small businesses, hit certain communities or geographies? San Francisco, New York, and again, I don't think this is news to anybody, we're more affected in sort of, we're also more affected in, in a financial sense. We see that especially amongst the lens that we carve out that we call local commerce, right? So spending on those categories that are more likely to be locally serviced, particularly amongst in-person transactions that we don't think are online. That is often the place where small business sits in those local businesses that are serving customers sort of face-to-face. That's the early signs that we have where small businesses may have been more affected in those cities in the way that they're possibly more affected in, in lots of cities. The Institute released new retail research today. What's the latest research say about kind of what the recovery could look like and where it might be playing out first? I think the most interesting thing is this kind of online, offline distinctions. In our data that we released and in other data sources that you'd see, like the top line spending, you know, consumer spending, in the first couple of months of the year is coming back to sort of about where it was a year uh, prior or in prior years, maybe even above as you start to get into May, uh, depending on how you look at it and what data source. That is largely, from what we can tell, an online phenomenon. But yeah, like the, the in-person spending, again, like in those places where it's most likely to be small businesses, that is way below where it was in the past and it continues to be so. And so that's where it seems like it's going. Thank you to Chris Wheat, co-president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute. And now we want to turn our attention to shopping centers, because that seems like the right ecosystem to better examine the pandemic's impact on consumer-facing small businesses. So in 15 seconds, we'll speak with Adam Ifshin, CEO of DLC, a property management company with shopping centers all over the country, which itself is a small business. But first, this. We're joined now by Adam Ifshin, CEO of DLC Management. Adam, let's just start big picture here to give people a sense of your organization. Around how many shopping centers and retailers do you estimate you guys work with? We are a large privately held owner of open air shopping centers across the United States. We are a dedicated team of 120 professionals. We currently own and operate about 85, 90 assets. And inside of those 85 or 90 assets are roughly 3,000 tenants overall. We have national relationships with many of the big national chains. But in terms of doors, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% either franchises of large names or true mom and pops. How would you say that the pandemic impacted your business? The pandemic did not, in our industry, create new trends. What it did was it accelerated and amplified trends and it brought them to the forefront. And it created this immense magnification of those trends and compressed the time in which those trends had an impact on the economy to a very small period of time. So if there was a trend that companies were owned by private equity and highly levered and didn't have a sustainable business model and they were perhaps in some level of financial uh, challenge pre-pandemic, those were the people who were most likely to get wiped out during the pandemic. If you take the trend of buy online, pick up in store, or what we refer to as BOPIS, which we believed was an important viable trend pre-pandemic, and we thought 
perhaps we were an outlier in thinking that that would ultimately be the most efficient form of last mile fulfillment for e-commerce, this is where there has been this extraordinary amplification and acceleration. We thought that that was a nascent trend pre-pandemic, and it has become a tsunami during and post. You have lots and lots of different open-air shopping centers, but is there uh, one that you feel is maybe most emblematic of kind of the the retail experience as a whole, particularly one that has a, a number of small businesses in it? We were in the process of redeveloping the center called Riverside Plaza in Keene, New Hampshire, when the pandemic hit. And we had signed some national tenants to backfill a former supermarket, including Home Goods, which is a division of TJ Maxx or TJX Corporation, and Harbor Freight Tools. We have some other national tenants in center, but we also have a lot of local and regionals. And we had a vacant food and beverage space. So two things happened. The first thing happened at the start of the pandemic is TJ called us up and said, whoa, 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 not sure we could do that. And we're like, whoa, 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 you have a lease. And we really need you to be here because we told our lender, amongst other things, that you were gonna be here. They came to us and said, look, our biggest problem is we can't get goods. We want the location, but we can't open the store without any goods. So we worked with them and we restructured the lease commitment such that we delayed their possession date and their opening date until such time as the supply chain sorted itself out. Long story short, they, uh, they had their grand opening in March of this year, right around the one year anniversary of when we all had to shut down for the pandemic. Separately, in the middle of the pandemic, a restaurateur came to our leasing agent for the property and wanted to lease a piece of space. And this is notable because, as you know, most restaurateurs were in very dire straits, and many of them still are. As witness, you know, last week, the SBA disclosed that they've had 266,000 applications for the restaurant relief fund in the most recent stimulus bill. I think that part of the bill has about $25, $30 billion worth of capacity, and they have like $65 billion worth of demand. But we had a tenant called Ramundo's Pizza come to us and want to open a store. And it turns out that the reason that this deal came about is that they were in the town of Keene for a very long time with a very successful store. But they had no way for the customer to transact with them without getting out of their car. They were in the middle of downtown on the street and they never it never was a problem for them. They did delivery. They had a lot of walking traffic. They had a lot of sit down traffic. And obviously that's exactly the part of the food and beverage business that got clobbered during the pandemic. So they made a decision to open a location with us because they would be able to do curbside and contactless pickup for their customers. And again, this is a small business. This is not a chain. And I think what's really telling about this is that an independent entrepreneur is figuring out how to innovate and be creative to stay in the game. Adam, the primary part of your business in terms of cash flow, obviously, is tenants paying leases. How did you make decisions, particularly when it came to small businesses, on lease forgiveness or lease deferrals during the pandemic? Rent is obviously the lifeblood of any landlord's operation. It is how we meet our obligations. Everything from paying uh, real estate taxes, largely school taxes that fund public school districts to paying our vendors, our sweepers, our landscapers, our trash haulers, to paying utility bills, and to paying our mortgages, and to paying our investors. So we recognized almost instantaneously at the start of the pandemic when the shutdown orders came was that we were going to be flooded with requests 
on the part of tenants for some form of assistance. So we made a decision very early on, and what we did was we created a program before anybody asked that was designed to provide a shared pain support mechanism for local tenants. So these were tenants that had uh, fewer than five stores. We went to you before you came to us and said, here's what we'll do. We're willing to partially defer your rent for a few months. It was typically either two or three months. And in return, we ask that you pay us the rent back in about a year over a period of time, that, that deferred rent. And if you agree to do that, it's like a no questions asked deal. We have a stock form. We got it pre-approved by all of our lenders and no problem. And that way it would be fair to everybody and it would be somewhat efficient for us because having to wade through hundreds and hundreds of requests, we didn't think we had the time to help people stay in business. And it was very successful. A large number of tenants were able to get relief, but we were able to get enough money to continue to operate center from the fleet feats of the world to the local diner, to the subway op, the subway sandwich shop operator, et cetera. For those who took advantage of it, do you believe they are going to be able to pay it back? Many of them have already repaid in a few instances where people then subsequently showed us that they needed more time. We gave them more time. And it's, with some people, we cut deals. We made a trade, right? We said, okay, you extend your lease and we'll forgive what we had agreed to defer in a few instances. To be completely candid, the local tenants, they were great. They were great. The nationals were much more challenging. How problematic was it for you, and I guess then indirectly for local tenants, that some of the big chains decided they weren't going to pay even though they were open? The answer is it was problematic. We were very fortunate in that we have very good relationships with our retailers. And for the most part, while there were some very hard discussions at the beginning, they all ultimately made a decision to pay the rent. One of the things that is extraordinary about the pandemic to the good is how much liquidity there was in the capital market system for larger corporations, both in terms of debt and equity. There are a handful of use cases that are still open that we're still trying to resolve, particularly around things that faced longer government shutdowns and have real business model challenges as a result of the pandemic. So it comes as no surprise that movie theaters, live entertainment, all fit in that category. Do you have a sense on what percentage or how many small business tenants of yours closed permanently because of the pandemic? So as of a month ago, 12. 12, that's not very many at all. Any, any commonality between them or, or was it, you think, all specific circumstance? I think that it definitely skewed more to food and beverage that was where it was very hard to pivot to non-in-dining. We lost some tenants in very niche businesses that serve the after-school community. We lost a fencing facility and a ping pong facility, and we lost a dance school. And I attribute all of those to the upheaval in children's lives and what parents were willing to do with their kids during the pandemic. Where in the recovery right now do you believe your business is? We're very close to fully recovered. We've been collecting anywhere between 92 and 95% of our contractual rent every month. Tenants continue to pay back back rent. 
We have a very active leasing and development pipeline. That pipeline is completely skewed to open air value. And the last part of it is we are seeing uh, significant outbound demand from failing regional malls. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back. After speaking with Adam, I wanted to learn more about what it was like for his tenants. So I spoke with three business owners, all based in an Allen, Texas shopping center called The Villages. Hi, my name is Mike Todrick. I'm the owner of Armor Coffee Company in Allen, Texas. Well, my name is Jeff Hamilton. I'm the COO of Kelly's at The Village. That is in Allen, Texas. My name is Austin Gabriel. I go by Kikoa as well. Um, I am the owner of Kikoa's Kitchen here uh, in Allen, Texas. I asked what it was like for them in March of 2020 when the pandemic interrupted all of our lives. Here's Jeff. So at that time, we went to carry out only. But, you know, the worst part is, is we had to fire 40 employees. And since the only thing we could do was take out, I basically had two managers, two bartenders and three cooks. And that was it. That was, uh, was gut-wrenching. I've been in this business for 20 plus years, and it's the worst thing I've ever had to do. Here's Mike. I think there was one day we did about $35 in sales for an entire day, which is not good. We actually went through a remodel uh, during that time, and we were still, you know, put our head down and muscled through despite what was going on. Here's Austin, who was working in food and beverage at the time, too. I was currently working for uh, Wahlburgers at the Star. I was obviously affected as, you know, they had to lay off a bunch of people. It got me kind of, you know, thinking like, you know, what's something that I could put together that I can open during the pandemic or even afterwards? So I came up with a concept of customizable Hawaiian plate lunch. This is all, all we're doing here is all my family. I don't have any silent investors. I don't have any angel investors. It's, it's all my family, my, my father, my mother, my grandfather. We're a small business, small family. As small business owners closed their doors that March, one phrase could be used to describe the shopping center. It was like a ghost town. That was Mike. Here's Jeff. It was a complete ghost town. A lot of the business around us shut down and they never came back. Some of them were really already on the edge anyway. And it was just kind of like the last thing that just pushed them over. Well, we're right next to both the Courtyard Marriott as well as uh, an event center. So we had tons of business travel. And when the pandemic hit, there was no events and zero business travel. It, it's so eerie seeing a hotel that the only people in the parking lot you know is the GM, and, and that's it. All three of them managed to get through the pandemic with their businesses intact. Kelly's and Armor Coffee both received PPP loans. Austin wasn't eligible for one, given that he was just starting up, and he opened Kakoa's just a few weeks ago. I want to know what the Villages is like now in 2021. The last two and a half months is the busiest two and a half months we've ever had in a row. We're well past any sort of recovery. I mean, we're, we've set record weeks, record months. I mean, we're literally at the pinnacle of our business right now. There is good foot traffic and car traffic here. We still have more drive-through numbers, but the cafe component is definitely driving a lot of our, our recovery of a sales. And I mean, we've fully recovered, if not exceeded last year. That was Jeff, Austin, and Mike. Thanks to you all for joining and for sharing your experiences. If you're ever passing through Allen, Texas, you have three places to stop by. Bring your appetite. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Jeannie Montalvo. Please be sure to follow the podcast and leave us a review. Have a great national scavenger hunt day. 
and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.